Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled. He just goes to the sun goes down. Hello, this is Greg Bloom, and welcome to another edition of Food Chat. Food Chat is all about reconnecting you to your food. We interview farmers, ranchers, people that actually produce the food that you buy at the grocery store. And today I'm really excited to have on uh, Amber. Amber uh, is a potato, well, her, not just her, but her whole family grows potatoes and I'm going to have Amber tell the story of how her family got got into the the business of growing potatoes. Hey Amber, welcome to Food Chat. Hi Greg, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk taters. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm sure you know how to do that. So we don't have a lot of time today, Amber, but just enough time to let our listeners know, you know, most of our listeners, Amber, are around the country and they've never been to a potato farm. They don't really know um, gosh, I don't even think they know the potatoes grow underneath the dirt. So we'll have to start with the super basics. I but mean, before we get started on that, hey, go ahead, Amber. Yeah, well, I guess just a quick background. I'm Amber Vanderdusen. I'm a fourth generation potato farmer, and I work for my family's farm. We're based in northern Colorado, and it's actually really cool. I work alongside both my parents and both my siblings, which is just everything to me. So we grow potatoes, uh, not only in Colorado, but New Mexico, Texas, and Oklahoma as well. And then we also grow specialty onions like shallots and um, as well as like corn for cows, hay, wheat, triticale, that sort of thing. But um, you actually have interviewed Tara Vanderdusen on your podcast, and she's actually related to me now by marriage. (laughs) So my husband is a dairy farmer here in LaSalle, where I grew up. And um, his family actually bought the feedlot that was my grandpa's, and that's what they built their dairy on. So my grandpa, and this is on my mom's side, so not in the potato world, but um, he still lives there right next to the dairy. So, you know, what more do you need? Milk and taters. <laughs> right. Gosh, that's great. So how did your family get started in farming? Yes. Well, you know, kind of a little bit of context about this area. When I was pretty young, like 10 years old, there were about 64 potato growers in this Weld County area. And we are the only ones now. Uh, I just don't think a lot of people realize how much potatoes were a part of this community. We do still have um, what they call Greeley Centennial Potato Days. It's actually next weekend. Um, But like the Greeley Stampede Rodeo, it used to be called the Spud Rodeo. We used to have a softball team called the Greeley Spuds in the early 1900s it might not have been the largest but it was definitely one of the largest potato producing areas in the nation so me and my family were pretty proud to still be growing in weld county it's still one of the top ag producing counties in the nation like it's still in the top 10 when pretty much all the others are in california so i love that especially with such a short growing season here that we're still we're still so ag focused. Um, but like I said, I'm, I'm technically a fourth generation potato farmer for growing potatoes in Weld County. The farm though really started with my dad 
And prior to that, my family had always farmed potatoes, but it might have been going to a packer or they were growing them for someone else. And I never met my dad's dad. He he passed away when my dad was about 16, but he was just one of those people who just really loved people and had a heart for others and just a very giving man. And I, I think my dad's very similar to that. And if you ask anyone on our team, I think that's the thing they would tell you about my dad is just he really cares. So I love that about our farm. I do feel like we have this family oriented feeling. And I think that really started with um, the generation before my dad and and probably before that. So I think that's really our legacy beyond the potato realm. And so that's how we really got into things. Great. That's a good story. I wonder why do you think it is, Amber, that there's no potato growers left besides you guys. I mean, I grew up on a farm in outside of Brighton in the county just south of Weld County in uh, Adams County, but mo- the, the cicadas are there, the petracos are there, mm-hmm. um, a few others, but the rest of them are gone. And I think it's because the land is just too valuable to use as farmland anymore. Is that what happened in Weld County too? Yes. Uh, if we're If we're talking specifically potatoes, it's a few things. Water would be the biggest. Um, and, and you're right, the, the, the value of land. But what also changed is buyers, like produce, specifically potato buyers, used to look at our area for a certain time of the year. And so let's say the month of August, they were coming to our area to purchase potatoes. And then, you know, things have just changed over time. You, you really had two factors there. Uh, buyers started needing kind of a year-round vendor or grower, you know, they, they couldn't work with as many farms as they once did. And I think, you know, even food safety, traceability, regulation plays a factor on that. And, Mm. and the other piece is really, um, you had different areas in the country that were able to come to market sooner. And so like the San Luis Valley, uh, had potatoes earlier and kind of, we kept getting squeezed out of the market. So, That's one of the ways we were able to survive was really niching down. So we focus here in Colorado on organics and specialty varieties like fingerlings and the shallot onions. And that's really allowed us, we we do pack year round here in Colorado and being so close to Denver, so nice, we can um, deliver, you know, multiple times a week. And that's what has truly allowed us to survive. Okay, great. Good explanation. So tell our listeners who are mostly urban folks, uh, nothing wrong with city folks. We love the cities, right? But yeah. uh, lots to do in the city, but they probably maybe don't know that, you know, you're not planting potato seeds like little seeds. You're planting real potato seedlings. So tell us about how you, like what it is you're putting in the ground and when you put it in the ground and how long it takes to grow and what you have to do to keep it from dying. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, the process of growing potatoes is is really fun. I mean, yes, you, you know, if you're growing potatoes at, in your garden, for instance, uh, buying, you know, an organic uh, variety is great. And you just want to cut up that potato so that each piece has an eye on it. Um, it's kind of hard to describe the eye on the podcast, I'm realizing. But uh I guess I'd look at it as like the little indention that you see where sprouts come out of the potato. Um, So again, you want your potato to sprout. So that's why you need the eye. And so that's how we're doing it, right? We're, we're, we bring in potato seed 
and um, but it is potatoes. You have to be in Colorado. You are uh, you have to be licensed as a potato seed grower. You can't just plant your own potatoes into the ground if you're not. So um, that's kind of a misconception a lot of people have. But in terms of doing it in your garden, you would do that. And then uh, that typically for Colorado would be April to May time frame. And then we're typically harvesting here the end of July, uh, mo mostly August. And then actually we go kind of into the beginning of October. So it's it's a nice long harvest around here. Okay. And then once the potatoes uh, come out of the ground and they're ready, uh, that, then what happens to them? So when we harvest the potatoes, it kind of depends. One thing that, you know, we, we were talking about surviving in this area, one, I guess, limitation we had is in Northern Colorado, instead of these big, uh, somewhat, you know, pivot fields, sprinkler fields, where you're looking at like 160 acres, we have these very small settlement plots. And to use that to our advantage instead of disadvantage, what we do is we actually grow a small amount of each variety on, you know, a small um, field. And then we just harvest what we need each day for delivery. So during the months of end of July through October, if you're shopping in our kind of Rocky Mountain region here, your those potatoes could have been dug, you know, the day before, like they're getting to your table within 24 hours. So that's pretty cool. But otherwise, if it's not really what we call the fresh market time frame, they're going into storage and you let them what we call go through the sweat so that they set their skin. And that's usually you're usually putting them into storage for about three weeks and then you pull them out as needed. And so, um, yeah, potatoes can if if you're storing them well, uh, they can last almost up to a year. So pretty cool. Okay. Kind of like an onion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's just amazing. Um, uh, there's so much history. If we we don't have time to go to today, maybe another podcast will talk about the history of potatoes throughout the history of the world. But right now, let's talk yes. about um, why does your family decide to grow potatoes over other crops? Because you could do a lot of things with your farm. And you know, I know you grow other things besides potatoes. You mentioned shallots and onions, but uh, why why potatoes? And then what? And then how do you pick what kinds of what varieties? what classes uh, of potatoes you're going to grow? Yes, that's a great question. You know, to ask why we grow potatoes, um, that's a little challenging for me to answer. I think, you know, the real reason is it is my dad's passion. And mm. I think kind of like the chef world, I, I think people forget that, you know, farming is an art and that's where we're losing it when you don't have the next generation coming into it and working alongside the previous generation because it is something that you have to develop a sense for a lot of the decisions my dad makes are very much gut based through experience and he can't mm. always put it into words of why he thinks we should do something um, but mm. but potatoes are really what he um, loves doing and i feel like what he has the skill set to do well. And I think the other pieces, you know, in this area, like I said, it was such a huge potato producing area. And so a lot of farmers in this area were potato farmers. My family is originally from Germany and, um, and then on my husband's side, Dutch and, you know, both those areas, lots of potato farming. But uh, there's some kind of cool things, you know, when you think about potatoes, you can actually live off them. 
And I just don't think that a lot of people know that. The uh, It's kind of funny, the executive director for Washington Potato Committee, he actually went 60 days straight only eating potatoes. Um, he did this kind of mm-hmm. as a research project for science and to, to show it did no harm to his body and actually helped improve some body markers. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure by the end, he didn't want to look at another potato for a while. Sure. Uh, but still pretty cool, you know, and you look at mm-hmm. the Martian movie that Matt Damon starred in and he survived by growing oh. and eating potatoes. Like they have more potassium than a banana protein. They have mm-hmm. vitamin C. I kind of think instead of eating an apple a day, you know, it should be eating a potato a day. But <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Times, right. Uh, when I am speaking, though, with chefs, I am on a mission to just educate that, you know, as Colorado as a whole, we are the second largest fresh potato producer in the nation. Uh, I mean, sometimes that fluctuates, but we're always in the top four. And when I say fresh, that's potatoes that go straight to retail or food service uh, restaurant scene. They're not being used for uh, frozen or chips. And so, you know, a lot of times people identify a russet as an Idaho russet and they'll order that. And it's, you know, we grow the same russet varieties here in Colorado that they do in Idaho. That's really just great marketing and branding by Idaho. But, um, you know, if, if I ever hear someone like say, oh, Idaho Russet, I'm like, no, that might be Colorado Russet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about you specifically. We talked about your family. Thanks for the background of your family's um, and your dad's passion for potatoes at the farm. But why did you specifically decide to stay or what's your story? Like, you, know, you could do a lot of things with your life. You, you could, you know, go a hundred different directions. But why, why the family farm? I think when I was growing up, my parents were really kind in the fact that they allowed us to pursue our passions. I really didn't spend a lot of time doing things on the farm. You know, now I wish I had. Um, I had a a huge learning curve when I came back, but I pursued the things I was passionate about. I mine kind of led me out to Nashville to go to school there and continue dancing. And so the farm really wasn't on my radar until a little bit after I graduated. At the time, I was uh, working at, I guess, somewhat of a tech firm. And it just, I felt this prompting to come home and be a part of things here. And that was 2015. And now I can't imagine doing anything else. It, this really feels uh, like who I am. So I'm really thankful that God led me back home and I just, feel strongly like his plans are always better than our own. And that that has definitely been true in my life. So now I'm, you know, married and I just welcomed my first ch- child. She's five months old and, you know, mm. we're so ingrained in ag and uh, that's really become my passion too, is advocating for ag, especially in this area of Colorado where it's, it is hanging on somewhat by a thread and I just don't want to see that go. Yeah, me too. I, grew up on the family farm and you know when you're there as a kid working it every day and your your dad's a workaholic and yeah. you know it seems like it's just a chore to get away from the farm for a day or two you know there's just so much work on the farm when you're a kid that like to go camping for a weekend you feel guilty <laughs> you know that you're not on the farm helping your folks with the chores you know so yeah i too uh left and uh went lived in japan for a couple of years lived in la for oh, wow. a couple of years and then 
I think when I was in my mid twenties, I wanted to come back home and uh, return to my roots, you know, and I appreciate them a lot more then than I did when I was a kid. Yeah. I think that's the story of a lot of farm kids. You know, yeah. my husband's kind of like the rare breed where he loved working at the dairy growing up and he knew immediately he was coming back. And I'm sometimes jealous of that, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's, it really is a way of life. And sometimes it takes leaving to appreciate what you have. Yeah, I think that's true no matter what. You know, if you lived in the city and your dad owned a tennis shoe factory and you grew up in the tennis shoe factory, you really probably wouldn't want to stay there as you, as a career. So it's just normal. It's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned that uh, it's, it's tough. You said, I think, uh, hanging on by a thread, but Tell us about the challenges that a, a family farm faces, uh, you know, as a farmer, and like, what what are the challenges that your family faces, you know, staying staying in business? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've touched on water. It's always going to be water in any ag endeavor, mm -hmm. but I think a big one is honestly perception. Our mm. uh, our culture is so disconnected from how food is produced, you know, in this great nation we have and to no one's fault. Uh, but mm -hmm. the problem with that is I feel like a lot of what, you know, people are being told is so, so false, you know, whether you're irrigating or maybe you're even trading on the commodities market, you know, anyone in agriculture is usually very, very proud to be in agriculture and they're mm -hmm. actually proud to work long hard hours in these sometimes harsh weather conditions and there's a lot of physical work with it and you're relying on mother nature you know knowing you could do like everything right but still have your entire harvest fall apart um i think carrying you know with that said it's kind of these ag values really are what define us. And I think sometimes the media portrays ag as not having this work-life balance, but we're actually really proud that sometimes we work, you know, 24 seven, extremely hard with not a lot of time off. And then there's times in the year where you, you actually have more of that time to be at home and spend it with your loved ones. But I think that, you know, without the seasonality, without these time frames where we really work hard, we couldn't do what we are doing. And that just really gets lost. Um, so with regards to legislation, there's so much crazy legislation coming down the pipeline and currently in place that doesn't allow for seasonality. And here in Colorado, we are so seasonal and we rely on one harvest season. You know, California can have sometimes up to three on a crop. So it is very different here. And I think that a lot of our politicians are honestly taking away farmers' ability to produce food for this country. And we're having our food become more and more outsourced. And it just, you know, where's the food security in that? Where's the health? Where's the sustainability? That's why I kind of call it crazy because the things that are being discussed as important for our country, we're doing the complete opposite. An example, and I see this with, <laughs> with my husband, a lot of these dairies are now going to a, taking their manure to a digester. And mm -hmm. when we're talking about sustainability, that's a big piece that people like to bring up. And that is great on that front, but what people don't tend to think about is 
all of us growers in this area rely on manure for our crops and that is going away. So that means we're going to be using more inputs, more fertilizer that isn't necessarily natural on our crops. And I don't think that's what people want to see either. So there's just repercussions to everything that I think that's the biggest challenge. But I'd also say, you know, we wouldn't be able to farm like we do today without the H2A program. And uh, our team is mostly from Ukraine, actually. Lots of farming and potato experience. And they're just a really cool group of people. But obviously, they have gone through and still going through so much heartache. And that's just been really hard mm-hmm. as a team. And continue mm-hmm. will continue to be for a while. And yeah, I just my it's just hard to even sometimes talk about, but they have they have gone through so much. It's it's really hard to imagine. And yeah. I think, you know, the the ultimately the biggest piece that makes our industry different than most is you're relying on Mother Nature. You you have mm-hmm. to plan, mm-hmm. but you can do all the planning in the world, do everything right, and one bad storm can wipe it out completely. So that's hard and that's challenging. Um, some of the listeners may not know, Amber, what H2A is. Maybe you could just explain what that means. It's a visa program for agriculture specifically that allows people from other countries to come here and work for a certain amount of months. Um, they can't stay here year round on the program. So it does help with the seasonality piece that we were speaking about. And uh, it's how I would explain it like our team that comes here from Ukraine it's you know they love the seasonality piece because then they get to go home and be with their families it's not easy mm-hmm. to come to a foreign country and not get to you know i have um a team member that he just had a baby the same time i had elsha and he's here now and and missing those moments and that's so hard And so that's what's great about H2A is, you know, they will be home with their family in just a few months. They're here for harvest or they're here for planting. And so that's what makes that program really, really cool, I think. Some of the things you just said reminded me of an interview I had earlier this year on Food Chat with uh, Jerry Sonnenberg, who is a uh, former Colorado senator and representative. And he was talking about the that you know, it's really no fault of their own, but the people that make ag decisions, food decisions, are are local and national politicians. They didn't grow up on a farm, and a lot of people on the ag committee anymore. They don't know really much about farming, and yet they're making decisions. And then it breaks my heart when I hear them say things like, "Well, you know, farming is causing global warming and irreversible <laughs> climate damage," and these people that are growing food and producing food, they're trashing the land and they're using too many toxic chemicals. And that really is not true at all. And they, if they had grown up on a farm or spent time on a farm, they would have realized that's not true. I mean, the true environmental stewards of the land are farmers because they've already proven that they can do what they do for generations. And you know they have the future of their family in mind. But I have a question about the future of your farm do you do you think your farm can last another generation so will elsha have a chance to be in the potato business so for me that is a hundred percent um yes like that's you know my drive for it's what i feel is my purpose is to keep fighting with everything i have to keep our operation going you know 
I think a lot of people tend to think about the generations continuing um, with regards to like farm owners, but we actually have quite a few team members that are second or third generation with our with our farm. And so mm. it's also about providing the opportunity for that to continue and for more opportunity for our team. And, you know, it's interesting to me, people a lot of times will romanticize ag and that's really beautiful. And I love that we see that, but where it kind of gets lost is this sense of, you know, as a farmer, you're, you're growing and producing a variety of things in small quantities. And the truth is that's to me, not effective. It's not sustainable and it's not going to allow you to survive just like any other industry. You have to niche down. You have to be very good mm -hmm. at what you do. If you're not growing, you know, you're, you're dying as Tony Robbins always says, but you really can't even be in retail without some scale. And I just think there's nothing wrong with being a larger farm. You can still be family oriented, quality, quality oriented, um, resource, uh, oriented and even more in that regard uh, when you have when you have somewhat of a larger team you have more more eyes on things more people looking out for things more opinions and ideas getting brought in so I think you know it's truly part of our job to always provide that um, growth for not only our family but our team good well said hey Amber we don't have uh, too much time left just a little over a minute so well let's finish with talking about where people listening can buy your products, where can they find them? And where can they find more information about your family farm? Yeah, thank you, Greg. So in, you know, Colorado, Utah, Idaho, kind of the Rocky Mountain region, most retailers, uh, Whole Foods, Sprouts, King Supers, Trader Joe's, Natural Grocers, that sort of thing. Uh, we are in HEB in Texas. And you know, nationwide, though, if you're eating potatoes like russets, Yukons, fingerlings in August, chances are they might be ours. Uh, we That's our harvest that we do in New Mexico, Texas, and Oklahoma. And that's pretty fun for our team and very much like that adrenaline harvest mode. Uh, we all really love that time of year. I think uh, as far as restaurants, like one example would be Modern Market. Um, but one thing that's kind of cool that uh, we launched this year for retail packaging, so our fingerling bags, um, we actually partnered with our uh, our packaging supplier. Their name is Severand, and they just launched this material that is fully uh, biodegradable. So it disintegrates within 18 months. So that's pretty cool. It's challenging to use all your packaging up on time, <laughs> but uh, mm -hmm. sure. that's kind of been our big thing this year. So. If anyone wants to follow along on our farming journey, uh, we're on all socials, uh, Strohire Farms. I run the accounts, and so it's kind of through my eyes, but uh, our team makes a lot of videos, so I post those, and that's fun. Um, tell tell you our listeners how to spell your family's last name. Yes, so it's Strohauer Farms, S-T-R-O-H-A-U-E-R. -E and they can find, if they just Google that, they can find your, your website, but it's just it's strohauerfarms.com, right? Yes, and we've got lots of fun potato recipes on there and, you know, just trying to show what it's truly like to be at least working for our operation and growing potatoes. Great. Amber, we're out of time. Thanks so much for being on Food Chat and it was good talking to you. And uh, thanks for coming on, especially in the middle of the kind of the end of the harvest year. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Greg, so much for having us. 
Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com has the best selection of beef, bison, wagyu, air-chilled chicken, turkey, and duroc pork, and more, all sourced from the family farms and ultra-clean USDA plants that they know personally. Take the mystery out of where your meat comes from and how the animals were cared for and buy your family's meats at RanchFreshMeats.com. Hey, save 10% on your first order by using Food Chat at checkout. Orders over $200 include free shipping. RanchFreshMeats.com Here's to the farmer that plants the fields in the spring That turn from green to that harvest honey Hold one up for the banker downtown That got him on his feet with handshake of money Here's to the farmer's wife That loves him every night Raising a son Raising a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.